That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse, the show that brings you the latest happening news, views, and opinions of our great region of Windsor, Essex. For our CJM listeners, you are listening to CJM 99.1 FM, reaching higher ground. And we remind all our listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of Windsor's Inside Pulse and our co-hosts and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJM or its affiliates. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also have completed uh, the 10 conversations and interviews with seven, uh, with the Ward 7 candidates. Uh, they are special bonus features. You can listen to them on the podcast. They are uh, absolutely tremendous, very insightful, about 10 to 15 minutes each. And with that being said, I'm Al Tashuba, co-hosting with Daniel Ablisser and Dave Sundin and Christine Brooks. And before we roll into our topics today, we have a brief special guest with us today. We're going to be talking uh, briefly about the debate that was hosted last week, but I'm told that there's another debate coming up. And so for that, we have Ryan Mancini joining us. Ryan is a member of, I, well, he'll tell you, but I believe it's the Rotary Young Leaders. Uh, he previously was a candidate in, uh, in Ward 1 where he ran up against the juggernaut campaign of Daniel Ablisser, but that's not why he's here today. He's here to tell us about what's coming up in the next uh, week or so with, uh, with the Ward 7 debate. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us uh, what you guys are up to, what you're doing, and uh, give us some information for our listeners. Okay, well, thank you very much, Daniel, and thanks also to Al, um, Dave, and Christine for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Now, um, the Rotary Club of Windsor 1918, it's the uh, oldest club, old, oldest and largest Rotary Club in the Windsor area. It was founded in 1918. That's where it gets its name. And uh, a couple of years ago, um, one of our Rotary presidents had the idea of creating a committee for younger and newer uh, members of, uh, of the Rotary Club of Windsor 1918, and we called it the Young, young Rotary Leaders. So it was meant to, to attract uh, younger members to the club and have uh, younger members work on projects together in the uh, Rotary Club of Windsor 1918. So, and also mention uh, Dave uh, is also a member of the Rotary Club of Windsor 1918. So uh, when this the election came along for Ward 7, the Young Rotary Leaders decided that this would be uh, having a debate um, for this race could be a project that we could, we could take on. You know, we had originally scheduled the, um, the debate for, um, I mean, months ago, and we were going to have it in person back at, um, it was going to be at the Salvation Army, the old Salvation Army Church on uh, Forest Glade Drive. Now uh, the pandemic led the race to be postponed, so we postponed the debate as well. So we've rescheduled the debate. The new debate is on uh, September 22nd, so it's next Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And the debate is via Zoom. We thought with the current circumstances, it'd be you know it'd be unsafe and it would be inappropriate to bring be bringing that many people together in person. So the debate is going to be via Zoom, and um, the debate is um, well. Every candidate has uh, has been invited to the debate. Most of the candidates have confirmed their. Um, your attendance. Uh, one of the candidates has said he is he's not going to attend, but the remainder of the candidates have either confirmed their attendance or not confirmed yet, but seem to be showing some interest. So hopefully we will get most of the most of the candidates there. And um, yeah, I listened to the um, previous debate, and we're going to be uh, asking some different questions from the previous debate, and hopefully get some um, some answers to some important issues for the residents of Ward Seven, so they can help to make a. Um, a qualified uh, qualified judgment uh, on election day. 
Well, that, that sounds great. So uh, thank you for uh, for letting our listeners know. Um, I know that uh, our listeners have very much enjoyed the interviews that we've done. They enjoyed uh, the format last week with the uh, debate that we'll be talking about shortly. And I'm sure that they will enjoy listening to the format of your debate as well. So uh, thank you very much, Ryan, for uh, for, for joining us. And, uh, and Can I add one more thing? Yeah, fire away. Okay, so in order to access the debate, information is available in the um, our Facebook group, Young Rotary Leaders. There's an event in there. It will be on Zoom. It'll also be broadcast live on Facebook. So if you're looking for information on how to um, listen to the debate, uh, Young Rotary Leaders of Rotary Club of Windsor 1918 Facebook group, all the information's in there. Fantastic. Can I, can we'll I be ask you, Ryan, um, if you don't mind, if I can ask you, are the questions that you made uh, given in advance or just the general topics? Is like how, how, is the, how was the format for it? The format hasn't been 100% nailed down, but there will be a likely, you know, some introduction and some conclusion section with a question section as well. That's likely. It hasn't been 100% nailed down. When it's nailed down uh, uh, completely, it, um, it'll be sent to the candidates. But um, I, I don't believe the questions will be sent to the candidates. I think the questions are just going to be surprise questions, and they're going to come from a collaboration between the, um, the young rotary leaders and uh, the host, which is going to be Patty Handysides from AM800. So oh, she's wow. going to be our That's host uh, uh, next Tuesday night. And um, the questions will be decided as a collaboration between the two groups. Well, I so commend if you, if you for doing it uh, because to have a credible institution provide a democratic platform where you, they can actually have interaction and interchange between the candidates is, and keeping them on their toes with uh, questions, I think is terrific. So congratulations. And with, uh, and, and with that said, we'll turn it over to Christine to, uh, to tell us about the previous debate. That's right. And this was um, Ann Jarvis explained about this debate in her article uh, or op-ed, What Stood Out in the Ward 7 Debate. Now, this particular article kind of um, uh, made me cringe a little bit because it didn't give uh, equal time to all the candidates. And um, it was heavily weighted towards a few of them. And in particular, it, uh, I don't know if she ran out of paper at the, at the debates, but at the very end, um, she just summarily uh, talked about uh, Michelle uh, Gajewski uh, and Therese Papineau, two of whom I had um, interviewed myself, and then just said that Ernie Lamont didn't participate. So just also running in the by-election were two others. I know there are a lot of uh, candidates, but I thought it was a little bit uh, uh, ironic because in the very first paragraph she mentions and says that I have to parse the performance of the 11 by-election candidates, meaning to examine minutely. Well, it wasn't examined minutely for two of the candidates. And in fact, uh, given the uh, lack of representation of women on uh, council, uh, only having one at the present time, uh, if, if I'm, uh, uh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, uh, the fact that two of the women uh, running for the, this election were totally dismissed at the end, I thought was a little bit uh, summarily done. However, um, we, we see her um, talking about Angelo Marignani's fifth campaign for Ward 7. People know him. She sees him as uh, being uh, very knowledgeable about uh, the ward uh, and also about uh, changing a little bit uh, his position and wanting to learn more about uh, the, um, uh, the hospital. And this is what he said after the debate. 
Um, also, she talks about Barb Holland, who uh, was a Catholic school trustee for 18 years, but explains that uh, at one point she was the chair of the uh, school board or school, uh, yes, when uh, Ontario appointed a supervisor uh, uh, to oversee uh, the board in 2012 after an ind independent investigation revealed an inability to budget and cited deficits five of the previous six years. Now again, um, that might mean that in fact, uh, Barb Holland was responsible, but in fact, you could be holding the bag uh, at the wrong time. So again, uh, the, um, this is an advisory to those in Ward 7 to find out and, and do their, their uh, homework to see in fact what happened there. Um, Jiwon Gill, um, she has only really a very uh, short amount to say about him. Um, and simply uh, saying that he wouldn't increase taxes for homeowners whose assessed house values have risen, he said. And of course, we know that many people are concerned about the fact that, uh, that uh, house values might, might go up and meaning dramatic, uh, we're kind of all holding our breath to, for dramatic uh, uh, tax increases. Um, she does mention that some uh, uh, people have not been able to go door to door, have refused. Igor Jake is, a, is an, an exception. He's already done, he's been to 5,000 uh, people door to door. She mentions Albert Saba, who he has a treatise on each plank, and I have to agree on that, uh, on that account. Uh, so anyways, uh, she does go through them. We know her favorites, and I just thought that the ending was a bit like uh, a bit too. If you're going to talk about all of them, then you talk about all of them. Don't just take a couple out. Yeah, Ann Jarvis is not a reporter. She's more of an opinion columnist, and that's why she can give her opinion. She could choose who gets more of her ink than someone else. And you know, when she backs someone, it's some weight. I mean, she backed uh, Jim Morrison. She remember it was the. Uh, the banker with the rock star name and Jim's a great guy, you know, but she backed him when Borelli won and she was upset, but then went full steam against Borelli and made, you know, advantage Jim, you know, and Jim worked hard for it too. Look at, at the end of the day, she's not a reporter. I remember speaking to uh, Benito about this because we were complaining about Anne and he's like, listen, she's not a reporter. She's a columnist. She gets to write her opinion. At least she's frank about it. So. Yeah, well, yeah. Let, let's talk a bit about the debate in general. So, uh, I don't know who did. I I watched a replay of the debate. Did anyone else here see the debate, or have you just seen the uh, seen the uh, seen the reporting? I saw her day? highlights, but keep in mind that was before the latest big news, which we're going to talk about next. Well, well, we'll get into that next. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I watched the debate. I th I thought the debate was good. The debate was hosted by the uh, Federation of University Women Windsor chapter. Um, the format was pretty straightforward. Really, they just asked the question, the questions kind of that we've been asking the candidates. Um, and so there wasn't, it wasn't particularly hard hitting. There was no, uh, there were no real surprises, although there were a bit of surprises at the end when they opened it up for uh, audience questions. But I, I mean, 
everybody everybody likes to complain about the the reporting i i thought the reporting was fair i mean christine you said that clearly ann jervis has her favorites i don't take away from this who the favorites are i think there's some people that she uh that she doesn't favor but um but but i'm not sure that the, and I, i've seen other complaints on social media uh, oh you know this is biased well no it's not biased it's an opinion piece um and uh and i think that they're you know she certainly warns um, her audience about certain candidates, but I, I didn't see a favorite in this. There will be an endorsement at some point, I suspect, but I didn't see a favorite overall here. Uh, Dave, your thoughts on the debate, the article, uh, where we're at? Yeah, so as far as the article goes, I, I think uh, maybe Michelle and Therese should, Therese should be happy that they, they weren't named because it seems like everyone that was named and said, hey, they said this was good, but you also don't know them because they, they said or did or, or think this. And so the, there's a pros and cons that she gave for each candidate. So she said, hey, there's also Michelle and Therese. Maybe go check them out too. Um, and then, of course, Ernie, uh, for whatever reason, the bacon man did not participate in the, the debate. And um, I, I imagine he might be the one that um, Ryan alluded to may not be participating in the, the young rotary leaders debate either. I don't think he, he, he particularly cares for debates. So so be it. But um, no, again, a, you know, Anne is a um, Anne Jarvis is a, a opinion um, writer. She's giving an opinion here about her thoughts on each of the candidates. And um, unfortunately, towards the end, doesn't get to have room for Michelle and, and Therese, who, by all accounts, sound like they're, they're decent candidates, um, uh, well-spoken uh, from what I've seen, uh, and good ideas, but, but just brushed past them and maybe it's not a terrible thing. One thing, one thing I'll note about the lack of mentioning the women, and I may be completely wrong on this, but it would not surprise me, she's done this in the past, it would not surprise me if Ann Jarvis writes a separate piece profiling the women in this race. Yep. Um, and so if she does that, then I take it that um, Therese and Michelle will get extra ink. Um, you know, I, I think, frankly, if you, you know, independently assess this race, well, the votes have to be cast. You know, Barb Holland certainly has a... Uh, has an electoral history to her. Um, Farah, Farah El Hajj, um, you know, comes with NDP support. So I think that those are seen as if a if a woman is going to win this race, those are the likely candidates to win. And um, and so I would not surprise me if uh, if those candidates were covered in this article because they're seen as likely contenders. But there could also be a general women in the race article. So there might not be. Um, but you know that might balance out the ink a little bit. So I guess we'll have to uh, pay attention over the next three weeks and uh, and see what's coming. Christine, any uh, other thoughts on uh, on where we're at with this debate, this article, and so on and so forth? Well, it's interesting. I mean, just the choices that the different candidates have done have made in order to uh, get their name out there. I mean, joining the debate or not, and going door to door or not. Um, and, um, but a lot of signs are up in the area. I've been driving along, uh, coming home from school along uh, Riverside Drive, and there are signs, so many more signs than would have happened if the, um, if the election had taken place just after six weeks or whatever the uh, amount of time normally is. Who's got, so I've driven through Forest Glade a fair bit. It certainly looks like uh, like Jewin Gill has the most signs up there, but I've seen signs for a lot of candidates who in uh, Eastwood. So Ward 7 is kind of East Windsor and then Forest Glade, and they're kind of two distinct neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, what, what about in, uh, in, uh, in East Windsor? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, so I, I live in Ward 8, and we've got friends in the, in the Forest Glade area. So we're out near Banwell uh, this past uh, weekend, and um, there was a couple of, of G. Wingill signs closer to Banwell and the EC Road. The, the newer area is a little further east of um, 
uh, a forest glade proper. Um, and there was a couple of Jewing Guild signs, but I saw a lot more diversity there in, in levels of support. I saw um, Igor signs, although maybe those signs were going down, I don't know. Um, uh, don't jump to the next story. No, yet. no, I won't. But, but there were some Igor signs there. I saw mm -hmm. some, some purple LeMay signs out there. Um, I, I, um, I'm surprised. I haven't seen a lot of signs for the female candidates who I know are obviously out there knocking on doors. So I'm not sure um, if they're not asking for sign locations or if they're um, meeting resistance for some reason. But, uh, but I did see um, Igor, LeMay, um, Mariani, um, and gill signs out there as well. I haven't been much in the the more northern parts of the uh, the, the the ward up near uh, Riverside Drive in Banwell. Uh, with that said, Al, why don't you take us into the uh, shit show from the week? Well, the Ward Seven race, which was primarily about sewers, even the golf course, even the uh, ability to have. Uh, uh, the mega hospital discussion as a platform, even though it's not specific to Ward 7, was always on the forefront of discussion and debate. And even in our interviews that we did on Windsor's Inside Pulse, it was talking about issues. Who, who would possibly think otherwise? Why would it not be about actual Ward 7 or city issues specifically? Then on Friday, something that was kind of lingering in the background in social media and among people who knew uh, something went to the forefront. When I say to the forefront, I mean it hit iHeartRadio, it hit CTV, it now hit the Windsor Star, it hit CBC. So it's in mainstream media. And there even was, uh, Don McDonald actually did a show on CKLW on Monday morning. That's how big it was. It designated the first hour to it. And it was, it was a candidate that said uh, things on, on Twitter that somebody, he deleted, but somebody screenshot it. And, you know, if it's in writing, it's forever. I mean, unless you delete it faster than someone screenshots it. But even then, there's the time machine that can go back. I mean, it was a, not a, necessarily about Ward 7 topics, but it was about issues about the NDP leader at the time and whether he should be a leader because he doesn't have a family. And it was about uh, the opinion as to whether transgender women are women. And it was posted up on Mother's Day. So I think there, he, Igor had mentioned about a biological aspect of it. And suddenly this became the topic of Ward 7, like a total distraction of the issues. And this is what people have been talking about to the point in which even people are even suggesting that Igor may not, uh, shouldn't be invited to the debates. Now, when we had Ryan on, he's talking about everyone's been invited, you know, um, he, he's, it looks like he's going to have everyone on as a debate, let everyone speak. It's going to be a Zoom meeting. But this, this for the last few days anyways, when we're recording today on Tuesday, September 15th, this has been the topic about Ward 7. And it kind of reminds me of when there was major distraction issues on a, on a personal level in Ward 10 about five plus years ago. Um, and, and it wasn't about issues. And when that candidate tried to get reelected, it didn't happen. I mean, this is, this is now the topics. So to the extent in which this is relevant, we're mentioning on Windsor's Inside Pulse, there's many facets to this. Um, is this going, you know, in a 12 person race, doing the math on it, is this is something that's helpful because at least the person's name is in the paper and, and being mentioned and maybe can work with a certain group? Or is it going to be, no, it's devastating? Or is it gonna be a rally around? Who knows? So this is very interesting to watch just from a, 
a media analysis and a, and a political analysis perspective. Daniel, your thoughts on it? Yeah, it certainly has been a bit of a sideshow in the past week. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I've, I've seen the post. I, I think that the, uh, the calls that he should have to drop out, I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's wrong. My view is that, you know, that's what the ballot box is for. And ultimately, you know, ultimately that's what the voters decide. I do think that there's an angle here that you question, you know, how harmful is this going to be if uh, in a 12-person in a, in a race you say, gee, you know, if, uh, if, if you accept that these comments are bigoted, well, there's probably <laughs> there's probably... 22 percent of uh, of any population that has some bigoted thoughts so uh so if you can activate that then hey maybe that works but I, but i think ultimately well, back up a second he 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 was the comments that he made was called bigoted by his opponents i mean he and then mind you also some of them he he had apologized for as well so his opponents many of them you know jumped on and piled on you should have heard the don, the don mcdonald's he had like three three or four different Ward 7 candidates all piling on. I mean, so, I mean, you got to look at where the it's coming from. He also had Windsor Pride uh, representatives go on and, and said it was insensitive and wrong and they want to reach out to Igor. Yeah, I, th I think Dan McDonald did an excellent job with uh, with uh, with the interview that he did. And, he did. you know, and certainly a lot of the candidates took it as an opportunity to campaign, but they're entitled to uh, equal time and they get to say their piece. You know, I, I think it's an unfortunate sideshow to this election, but ultimately, you know, I, I think it is I think it is relevant. The electorate gets to make of it what they want to make of it. And, you know, normal, normally you get to say, gee, you know, I, I was uh, I was young and foolish way back then. The problem, or you know, I was a young foolish student way back then. I think the problem with Igor is, you know, he's still kind of a young foolish student. So uh, I'm not sure that he's. I'm not sure that you know. I, I don't know that this should be the end of his political life. But you know how how divorced is he from these opinions, which some of them he's now apologized for. So uh, so you know that that's out there. How it affects the race is going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, in a in a twelve person race, I don't think that it's a death sentence. But uh, but I guess we'll have to see uh, what goes on from here. Um, Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I doubt it helps his campaign in any way, shape, or form. Is coming to the forefront. All those names out there. I. I don't subscribe to the idea that any press is good press. This is some, some pretty bad publicity. Um, people say and, and do uh, foolish things on social media all the time, but if, if you know you're going to seek political office, and, and Igor has been very engaged politically for a number of years now, if you're not going to seek political office, you've got to be very careful what you, what you say on social media um, because it will come back to haunt you. Um, sure it will for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You and me both probably. So, um, uh, so, so you know, he had to be aware that this might come back to haunt him, and it did. Um, he probably should have got out in front of it well in advance, knowing that these posts might be out there. Just you know, maybe to to make some sort of announcement about it in advance. He he didn't. I don't think his initial reaction to the questions were great, but um, he seems to finally be finding a way to. Um, address it and apologize for it rather than just defend his, his previous positions, which is probably the smart way to go from a political perspective. He's, he's uh, now apologizing for at least arranging to meet with um, a member of the trans community, to have coffee and to talk about it and talk about why it's hurtful. Some of the things that he said, and, and, and maybe that that's part of this. I don't, I don't agree with the calls for him to drop out. I think that's, that's over the top. Um, you know, there, there is a freedom of speech aspect of this. He, he's he's free to say foolish stupid things if he wants to, um, and he might, uh, as you mentioned, Daniel, pay the price of the ballot box for those opinions. And that's that's the place for it to happen. But just to preemptively 
um, kick someone for saying a uh, an inappropriate thing on uh, on social media. I don't think that that's that's the 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 man we take care of this. Well, um, I I think that the this is more than just a distraction. I think, uh, quite honestly, um, the community has a right to look at it closely because I think it has to do with the moral fabric of the individual and how they see individuals in their, in their community. Um, I think we have made incredible progress in many ways and including our laws over the years. Um, if we look at the history of human communities, it hasn't always been safe for everyone, in particular those who do not comply uh, to society's image of the norm. And um, this is a huge source of, or has been and still is a huge source of sadness and injustice as some members of the um, LGBTQ community have mentioned since these remarks were, were uh, disclosed. Um, I think um, the bias, the discrimination, the abuse, the bullying, and even uh, all the way to, to torture and death, if you look at historically, um, is a reason for people to speak out, for everyone to be able to be free and to express themselves in a way that is themselves, that they do not have to hide. If you look at, I have read all of, basically all of the French literature of the 20th century, if you look at it, people have had to hide their identity um, for, for all of the 20th century, really. It's only in the 21st century that they could say, I'm gay, I'm transsexual, I'm transgender. This is incredible that they had to hide uh, this this is a fundamental, um, really, for the, the the progress of our society that people don't have to hide and that they don't have to be afraid to say who they are and that they don't have to be shown what the norm is and to say, look, this is who you should be. Be miserable because you will never be like that, will you? Awful, awful. So it takes a lot of courage in a society that reflects uh, an image that is a, a, an ideal that doesn't reflect you. It is a very closed society and this is something we do not want. I think we, uh, I think uh, this uh, over the years, um, I have seen the, the progress, I have seen also uh, this, the struggles in high schools where uh, young people are trying to establish their identity and believe me, there are, it is wonderful that we have progressed to where we are. And unfortunately, this does have to do, it's a very important uh, part of, of, of what we would want in, you know, how it reflects on, on the person that we want to elect. Yeah, the, 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 I think the only good thing that comes out of, of any of this uh, as a news story is the fact that media outlets are getting comments from those in the um, marginalized communities that, that Igor has in the past uh, disparaged through social media and getting their input, getting their take on it, how it makes them feel, and helping tell their stories um, to, to show that, um, you know, the, the damage that words can cause. Um, I, I'm sure that wasn't Igor's intention when he posted them to, to harm anyone, but, but it did cause harm. Um, and, and people are, are stating that clearly through um, the media coverage of this. Um, and, and I guess the, the problem becomes this, if, if Igor is elected, um, 
to be the counselor for Ward 7, do the marginalized communities that he's in the past disparaged feel comfortable approaching him to discuss their issues? So that's, you know, um, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that might be part of the reason why people are calling for him to step down. Again, I don't agree with that, but, um, but I could certainly see why that's a concern and why that's a problem. Well, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And, uh, and this is uh, maybe, well, look, I don't think Igor is going to get elected, but I guess if he is, maybe that's, uh, that's what we got going on here. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the difficult reality of, of, uh, of democracy. So uh, Al, uh, any thoughts or you want to take us into our. Uh, well, this, just to wrap this up, just because uh, I, I think we might still be talking about this next week, unless the, the page has turned. And if it doesn't turn, that means we have a distraction and I will bring it back to Ward 10 when there was a candidate with tons of personal issues and, and it was a distraction. It lost credibility to the issues people care. There's 12 choices in Ward 7. So, I mean, Igor, I thought, was one of the hardest working candidates. He was out there early. He was knocking on doors. He was inspirational to the youth. Uh, he, you know, he really worked hard. And when I interviewed him, he had a lot of great comments. Um, but this issue now is a distraction. So unless it gets, you know, uh, off the front page and unless it becomes non-issues, you know, before election day, uh, unfortunately, this will be what people think of that particular campaign. And I don't know if it can get beyond it. And people in Ward 7 will think, well, you know, I got different options. Um, I don't need this distraction all the time. So unless it could be messaged differently, I think it, it's a very serious thing. I, I agree with Dave. I don't think it's a positive thing, even though your name's in the paper more, even if it's chopped up to 12 different people. I think, you know, bad press, this much bad press is not, is not helpful for anybody, even in a, in a, in a multi-candidate race. So let's, let's wait one week. Let's see where it goes. Let's see what happens at the debate. Let's see if they could change the subject. Already they're talking about Little River Golf Course, and they're talking about you know, the debate issues. I can't imagine. I'm sure at the debate, uh, this will get raised. It has to be because now it's become an issue. And, and I hate to see personal issues or personal opinions where it's not like results oriented for the ward. But as Christine mentioned, it's, it's part of the character. It's part of who people are choosing. So let's, uh, let's see what happens. But it definitely was an interesting last five days. Well, our next story is a good news story, turning from that mess to a good news story. Um, if you follow my Facebook feed, you would have seen this first from me on Friday night, but the uh, news networks have now picked it up. There are the potential for six, count them six, 16-story condo condo and apartment towers being built in the downtown in two different developments. They're at different stages. They're not a done deal yet. They're at different stages of development. The notice that's come to city council is simply that there are planning applications in the works for these. The smaller one that's probably more progressed along is a 16-story tower with, I think, about 175 units behind the Shoppers Drug Mart downtown on Olette. The much larger project is a proposal for up to five condo towers with uh, with 16 floors plus um, plus some townhomes with it on the lands that are the current CBC uh, CBC lands on uh, Riverside Drive. That project is a fair bit farther off. That will need rezoning. That'll need an official plan amendment. Um, 
there's always the chance that you won't see that many phases. So you won't see five towers there. I don't even know how you'll fit five towers there. But uh, but I think this is a really excellent news story. Let's go around the table. Dave, what are your thoughts on, uh, on will, are we going to actually see a crane in this city for the first time in 25 years? We might. And it's a good news story if we do, um, because it's been a long while since there's been um, a, a new condo development that wasn't mired in, in controversy in, in Windsor. Um, I think the, you know, the, the most recent couple of condo towers, it was, it seems like um, delay, delay, delay. Yeah, Dave, um, you made more money on those in litigation than the developers did. I think so. So, oh, they, you know, they, they get tied up forever. So, I'm, but I'm glad to see it because that's been the, the ongoing problem with the revitalization, revitalization of downtown is if you don't have um, people living down there to support um, commercial um, establishments, um, you see the hauling out of the, the downtown core. So you keep talking about trying to, you know, revitalize and, and rebuild the businesses along there. But if you only have office workers there from nine to five, Monday through Friday, and it's a ghost town, um, other than the bar scene on evenings and weekends, um, it, it, it results in a pretty sad picture. So, um, you know, we've got now got some some university and college um, programs downtown drawing in students. They're looking for housing, obviously. I would think mostly apartments, but if we can get um, people living full time in the city core, more people living full time in the city core um, that have the means to support commercial establishments, I think you'll see the the continued beautification of of the downtown core and and hopefully uh, a long term success story. My concern is that uh, the condo market different than Toronto where condos are an acceptable thing. It's not really taken off as much. Uh, I think it, it will start to be obviously if you, you make the supply and there's a tremendous amount of demand. My other concern is that these developers, I didn't read any Windsor names. They were from anywhere but Windsor. So how is how come it's always the outside of Windsor investors that are investing in Windsor, seeing Windsor as the opportunity, they're the ones bringing in the millions of dollars like, what about Doherty? What about anybody from Windsor? What about a big Valente group, you know, doing these multi-million dollar projects? Or well, Valente, and, partnership? Valente yeah. and Paroli just led the way by doing their own buildings. Yeah, so, and uh, they, did, they did a nice one actually on Olet, but something this, this mega, if you read the names on this, they're, they're primarily out-of-town investors. I'd like to see more of the majority being Windsor investors. Yeah, well, maybe this will start. On the CBC one, I actually don't think we know who the developer is. The application that's come in is mm -hmm. by the owner of those lands. And I think that it's very possible, if not likely, that that application for rezoning an official plan amendment would be part of a sale. So I don't think that we actually know who that developer is. But, uh, but, but certainly the one on Olette looks to be from out of town. But you and, know and what? Keep my, in mind my they're getting is, all the discounts as well. They're getting all the... Uh, all the perks that the city of Windsor is giving as part of the tax breaks and so forth. So yeah, and that's why we did that, though. We we yeah. did that. We mm -hmm. did that because we're we're prepared to say. And, and look, I I think that at a certain point there is that tipping point. I don't think we're mm -hmm. there yet, but to the idea is, gee, we're going to waive taxes on these properties for ten years, but then we're going to collect on them for ninety. So uh, uh, no, and I I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that there has to be a Windsor benefit. So we're already giving up ten years of taxes. Yes, we'll get the jobs, we'll get the investment, we'll get the work permits as well, which goes to city hall. All of all of this is good. I'm not disapproving of it. I would just like to see more of a Windsor uh, prosperity aspect of it, even on the construction stage. As yeah, Dave mentioned, we're definitely getting the benefit of people being downtown. That's for sure. But, but my concern, Al, might, you might be able to, to um, add, shed some light on, which is uh, um, 
you mentioned earlier, which is, you know, seems in Windsor, Essex, people want to have a, a single family dwelling. Uh, they don't, they don't want us to live in condo towers. It's, it's not really desirable. So, you know, are they going to build these six towers and they, they sit vacant and become derelict? Cause that's, that's a big problem too. Are, you know, are, we you know, sold out East side units. horizons uh, of over on Banwell and they're building three buildings for it, but next to it, there was land and there was a park and there was a community. So it's starting to go. I had a, and a lot of those were Toronto buyers, but the mindset of Windsorites is that if I can get a house with land in my own section, for pretty well the same price of a new condo, I'd rather a house. But that's because the prices are about the same. Whereas in Toronto, a condo is like a half the price to a house, which you couldn't get. Yeah, but but the so the ones you're talking about on the the east side of Windsor or in Tecumseh are more like a park-like setting where you've got a, you know three or four story. These aren't these aren't condo Correct. towers. Correct. These are condo complexes mm-hmm. um, that that might have some some common areas that include a lot of green space on the back onto parks or near parks. Um, whereas you're talking about now four condo towers in the downtown core um, that that are you know locked in by, um, by by other commercial buildings around them as opposed to park-like settings. Otherwise, you know, th- the thankful thing about the downtown core is Riverside Drive's not that far away, and you got beautiful parkland there. But but it's been um, done. Like Victoria yeah. Park Place has been an apartment building, but they switched it to condos, and people live in and, and they and they have it set up, and that's a big high rise as well. It just as Daniel said, it just wasn't done 25 years ago. Christine? Well, and if yeah. the C, let me just, if the CBC development goes through, that's going to be right on the water. So that yeah. you've got the parkland of, of the water. I, I think that you're correct. The big question is, is there, is there demand for this? But look, if there's so much, there's such a shortage of housing right now that anything to take the pressure off, if it gets built, I think is good news. But uh, Christine, let's, let's go to you. You ready to sell your uh, self South Windsor home and move into a condo? No, absolutely not. And I think that we're making a mistake again. Um, I think uh, the high rises, we're not, we're not really a city that has a, a too little vacant space. In fact, we should be filling all the space we can with lower rise, with human scales, uh, human scale uh, uh, development. And uh, for example, you take university, there are all kinds of empty spots in between. That means that the, 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 the road is actually not as safe as it could be for people at night. It would be much better if the whole thing was developed and that there were lights and there was activity along the way, the whole way. So if we developed to on uh, in, in width instead of height, first of all, we would keep the view of the river for more people and we would have a much more human scaled development which would actually get people walking, which would get people to to have communities as opposed to be kind of squirreled into their little cage up on the 16th floor. And so in my opinion, we're going around about it the wrong way. We should be doing what what Paris did in the 1900s. They, They started building and putting a maximum, of course, they got into trouble because they're kind of an island and and there were there was there were too many people uh, but the point is that it's very very pleasant it's not huge towers here we would have single towers if they are half empty then it's a complete disaster but it is efficient only for the developers and the developers aren't even from Windsor so in my opinion let's look to develop in the width and to make things much more uh, alive, that people can walk in the streets, that it's lit up and that people 
um, that there is a grocery store around and that people can can um, live in, in a more um, in a more human scaled kind of environment. I guess I lied. I thought this was going to be the positive story, but uh, well, there's, yeah. there's positivity to it. Don't get me wrong. I just just don't forget the Kendrell building which uh, the Chrysler building, right, on Olette and Riverside was supposed to be, you know, 32 stories. The next thing you know, became 12. And for a lot of years, there was vacancies there. I just don't know if Windsor has this market appeal for these high-rise condos, uh, you know, at the price they need in order to, to sell it. I, it's not Toronto. And, and especially because land is cheaper here. And Christine makes a point. If it's 12 stories or if it's 15 or something, even like Victoria Park Place, or the Windsor Park Terrace height, I can see something like that. Or Portofino uh, is a very nice development where it's not like over the top. We'll see, the market will decide. Before they put a shovel in the ground, they should have half of them sold. They should be able to see if there's a market demand for it. And they'll adjust accordingly. So yeah, I, and I, trust I, the I don't think I don't think that this like this CBC proposal that's a rezoning that creates sort of the max you can build on the site. Are we ever going to see five towers there? I highly doubt it. But you know, two two is better. Two with a no, couple I, hundred I, units is good. Let's news, develop hundred percent. Let's develop, but just don't expect like uh, skyscrapers not New York City. Well, well this, this, is part, this is part of the problem with out-of-town developers too, right? So if you've got developers used to building the Toronto area, they think 16 is very modest and and uh, that's going to, to sell well, not realizing what the Windsor market is. And I get here and realize we can't fill 16 floors, so we're going to now build a uh, an eight-floor building or a 10-floor building or you know reassess as they go as to what the plans are going to be. But I guess time will tell. Um, but, uh, you know, Councillor Borland's um, quoted quite extensively in, the, in that article. And uh, rightfully so, he's been talking about the need to diversify the, the downtown and to bring residents in. And this certainly, if it's a success, accomplishes that goal. I trust the market. We'll see what the market dictates as supply and demand and cost benefit analysis uh, based upon everything. I, I trust the, the independent private developers. It's good that we're giving them a tax break. Let's get them in. Let's get some development. I'm okay with all of it. We'll see how it goes. We'll monitor it here on Windsor's Inside Pulse. And we're back on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Welcome back after the break. Um, so the, the next story is, um, I'm sure you're going to have some divided opinions. Uh, I, I've been talking to people a bit about this. Uh, it's the red light cameras. Um, this was an idea brought forward by um, Councillor Castante. I heard about this issue a lot in the 2018 election about the need to have some way to uh, in, have enforcement in place to ensure that bad drivers aren't speeding and, and running red lights. And that's a big concern, I think, through all areas of the city. Um, but the question is, is this going to accomplish uh, the goal it's, it's supposed to accomplish? Um, so Councillor Castante certainly thinks so. And the estimated cost is $520,000 though to install 10 red light cameras. Um, I'm curious as to whether or not people are gonna figure out where they're located and be careful there and not elsewhere. But um, Al, uh, throw it to you first. I think you got a bit of an inside scoop. What do you, what well, do you say? Thanks, Dave. I wanted to speak to this as a delegate, but it was on the consent agenda and I was in touch with uh, Beth Toldo about it. And she referred me to the pages on city council report, uh, S45 2020. And I, I don't, you know, they talk about $520,000 for install and that could go even up to 600,000, but then they're projecting $900,000 in revenue and the management of it. So this is looking like a money generator for the city of Windsor. However, you can never tax people into prosperity. That $900,000 of 
I would say mostly Windsor rights because this is not going to be like Toronto people running. So let's say 98% of this $900,000 is Windsor right money that otherwise would not be disposable income that they could spend at the grocery store or in the shopping malls or in the restaurants or anything else. It's now taken away from the economy and that macroeconomic aspect of it was not factored in. You're only looking at it. It costs 500 grand for the city to operate and they're making 900 grand. That's a $400,000 profit. Okay. But you're taking $900,000 from the economy of the city of Windsor. Not to mention, I'm not a believer that people are going to drive better with these red light cameras and they're going to be looking over their shoulder with, with radar. Just let people drive, trust the, the people that they could drive or put police out there. But this red light cameras, it was introduced 30 years ago and they took them all down. The photo radar and all this, it's an old idea. It doesn't work. It's not worth it. You're not going to get the results and it's definitely not a monetary gain. You haven't factored in the macroeconomic aspect of it. And I'm, I'm totally against it. I think it's bad. So, so Al, was the 900000 in in revenue, was that per year? Is that... Um, they were or... talking about it per year, that they would get $900,000 in fines that they would be able to collect. And using that money, they'll pay the new $500,000 in management of these red light cameras. And it would be a profit of 400000 But they have not taken into account that $900,000 of disposable income from citizens of Windsor could then help circulate the economy. It's a tax grab. It's a total tax grab. And you can't tax an economy into prosperity. It doesn't no. work that way. Yeah, so a, a couple points uh, on this. One, I don't like the concept of, uh, of red light cameras. I, I certainly... I don't hate the red light cameras as much as I hate the speed cameras. I think the speed cameras are really obnoxious, but, uh, but you know, the red light cameras, the, the one thing that I will say, you know, in Councillor Costante's defense is, you know, we always hear from candidates, traffic calming, traffic calming, traffic calming. And then, well, when you actually try to do something that, you know, what are you going to do? This is actually a step towards traffic calming. That said, you know, I, I don't like it. I, I don't have a huge problem with you getting a ticket for blowing a red light. I mean, in terms of the money, I agree with your what you're saying, Al. For me personally, I've told Councillor Costante that I've got a reserve account for future donations to his campaigns, and this is coming straight out of that. So it's not going to cost me a dollar. It's just coming out of donations to his uh, future campaigns. But yeah, I, I, I don't like it. But I do think that, you know, if uh, I don't, I really don't want to see the, the, the speed cameras. Um, the, the red light cameras, look, if you blow a red light you should get you should get a ticket um that's did i mention i'm in favor of red light cameras on huron church for truckers because that's not taking money away from Windsor rights and that actually is helping because we're an international crossing i i'm in favor of that i'm, I'm not in favor of the internal ones because having a big you know 18 wheeler run down the high and then we had assumption school before that overpass that was a, that was a danger and then now we've got the underpass anyway so they're not hitting 18 traffic lights from quebec to florida but, but again, this is, this is a small, this it's is a small a, community. And yeah. I think over time, people are going to figure out where the 10 cameras are located. Everyone's right. going to game the system and say, okay, avoid these intersections. Sure. Uh, be careful in these intersections, but everyone's going to continue to drive like, like, like idiots. And, um, okay. we're I'm already trying to it. map the route to route. The, the, I'm already to trying avoid. to map the route to work to avoid these. It's going to, it's going to be difficult, but I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll be uh, having to blast down some neighborhood streets to avoid these. Daniel, things. as far as your traffic coming, uh, what's wrong with uh, speed bumps or putting those timers at how long you have the yellow lights for 
or you know some type of a traffic engineering rather than doing it by enforcement and fear and penalties. It's not yeah, okay, the way but to we're do not it. doing we're not doing any of that. So everybody, no, but if, on, I would prefer everybody that. knocks on the door, puts no. in their lit that they want to do this stuff, and then you know speed speed bumps. I mean, those always seem like a solution, except apparently they're awful with with snow and things like that. So the, but the, for the, school the one zones, they were. Yeah, the one the one defense of this that I will say is like this is an active step towards toward towards the traffic. worst step it's enforcement Christine yes. I don't know much about um, these uh, the red light cameras but I know that red lights have been you know people go through the red all the time Dominion and LaBelle terrible all kinds of people all the time there are accidents several accidents on the corner of that that particular intersection every year I don't know where they're going to put them People will figure it out, but you know what? If it changes their behavior, I guess that's what we want. And whether it's a, a truck that pays or people in Windsor, if it's saving lives, it's saving lives. And that's the main thing. We want to make people, uh, we want to have a safer environment. People are not driving very well. If they're going through the red, there's no reason why people are going through the red and they're going through the red all the time. But they could put a timer on the yellows that, that, that's another solution because some yellows are faster than others and they're going through the reds and they didn't know how long the yellow was. What's wrong with people? If it's yellow, can't they see it's yellow and start stopping? But yellow I mean, sometimes means hurry up and go. Yeah, it does it does. And, and if you have a timer on it, that's better than an enforcement. That's ridiculous. That's just, just that's ridiculous. the way people drive. That's, they'll change. They'll change. But if you stop at a yellow, the guy behind you will hit you. You, you can't stop at a yellow. Oh I well, you know, I I mean that's if you put a there's in Europe people being right on your your tail. That's ridiculous. But in, if they're expecting you to go, right? Well, still too close. Um, in Europe, you put a, they, they put timers. Well, that is what that is one of the risks here. One of the risks is that evidence shows that when you have red light cameras you actually have more rear-end collisions of course you do uh, um now now the evidence also shows that those are th those are less severe than the t-bone collisions which are the big ones and you avoid the t-bones so on a on a balance apparently it's less severe but um, but, but more t-bones happen more with left turning lanes not because by the time you go through the red the the in the next guy coming in doesn't have enough time to accelerate and t-bone you the problem with red light cameras, you're going to create a panic on the streets and they're going to be more hits from behind. It's not, there's no proof that it's saved better. If you put a timer on the yellow light and people could decide whether they should go through the yellow or not. Oh, I only got one second, I'll stop. Or you could start to fade the yellow light going into a red. There's new technology, but just blanket. Oh, you got to guess how long the yellow is and, and give them a ticket if you're wrong or get rear-ended if you're wrong. Come on. It's, it's not the right with yellow lights they used to stop if they weren't in the intersection committed to the intersection they stopped you have yeah. to be able to go through it if and you're if, committed to the intersection yeah, there's a split second in there there's a split no, second no no, no 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 i've seen no no there's definitely a split second decision of whether you can make it or whether you cannot make it and it's a mystery because well, you don't have a timer on the yellow lights if you put timers on the yellow lights you'll know the risk, I mean, the risk also with things like winter weather is, you know, sometimes it's safer to go through a red light than to try to, to try to slam your brakes on in, a, you know, in, 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 in the winter. So uh, look, Trust I've, said, the people. I, I've said, I don't like these things, but I certainly understand the arguments for them. So, uh, well, so, 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 
So, so, so moving on, uh, an interesting debate at, uh, at council on Monday on the issue of buying 12 new vehicles for their, uh, I think their bylaw fleet. This actually came to council a couple weeks ago. It got sent back for more information because there were questions from some on council about, do we really need to buy these things? There's at the, uh, some of the information was that these are about nine years old. Some have as few as 60,000, 65,000 kilometers on them. But the thing that gained more media attention was and I think this was led by a push from uh, Dave Cassidy in the uh uh, in in the news that we should be buying local. So the pitch was, gee, we should go buy uh, we should buy Pacificas for these. We should spend the extra money to buy Pacificas. Council ultimately rejected that. They did not give direction to admin to specifically buy Pacificas. They can't. Arguably, they can't do that because of uh, because of trade restrictions and purchasing bylaw restrictions. Um, so that was the debate at council. Um, I think Councillor McKenzie did request a report back on options for a sort of buy local strategy going forward. But uh, let's go around the table. Dave, what are your thoughts? Should we uh, spend more money to buy local or uh, or should lowest price take for uh, for something like fleet vehicles at the city? Yeah, I, I guess given um, how poorly the Pacific is selling, it, it's it, it's probably a good optics to tell Chrysler, hey, listen, the city of Windsor cares. Um, I know the, the the current fleet of Dodge Journeys, I, I think, were manufactured um, in Windsor, if I'm not mistaken, or at least parts of them were, um, which, which you know was helpful. They no longer are those. You can't replace them. All we've got here now is the Pacifica. Um, but but it seems like a, a you know not the greatest way to to be spending money but i can certainly get the rationale for it which is we want to show chrysler the the love uh we want to boost the sales of pacificas and it's it's a fairly small order in the grand scheme of things but it's something it's 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 uh, certainly good optics so yeah. I, I appreciate the political rationale for it the other concern that was raised is whether that whether that becomes bonusing or whether that's uh you know whether that's uh whether the nafta or the the canadian trade agreements whether it's a breach of that um yeah. and, and, and any any thoughts on that dave or uh i mean is that something is that something that we should be yeah so these with? yeah so these are these are municipal bodies and they they are bound by um the old apta the old nafta and the, and the new um provisions of depending on which country you're, you're from the acronym <laughs> changes but i believe here it's kuzma um uh, so the, the Kuzma provisions would would certainly uh, be be problematic because it it provides for you know how government bodies carry on uh, and what they do. So I'm not sure if there's a way to um, get around that, uh, whether or not the city's explored how to get around that if they want to, um, or find some way to send it up to tender and and cook the process to make sure that it happens. I, I don't know. Al. Al, buy local or let the market decide? I'm very consistent. I believe the corporation of the city of Windsor, hence the mayor and city council, they have a corporation. They got to also look at it on a macro basis. So in the same way I'm being consistent that you're taking away $900,000 from local economy, disposal income of Windsor rights, is, and you have to look at the greater good, not just the individual profit, is the same way I'm looking at this. Go ahead, spend the extra money. Don't just measure it on a microeconomic basis. Look at macro. We have jobs that are produced uh, in Windsor as a result of Pacifica's being sold. Show the effort, contribute to the local Windsor economy and our major industry and buy our own products. It's an excellent example. It's worth the extra money. Don't look at it as a loss. Look at it as, as macroeconomics and the correct thing to do.
So do I hear then that Al is not prepared to trust the market, that if the market controls, the manufacturers will build a car that the city of Windsor can purchase? I'm saying that the decision of city council should also be based upon the macroeconomics of the city of Windsor. So if the city of Windsor is producing a particular vehicle and it helps the local economy, then you should be looking at buying that vehicle. Now, if it's totally outrageous and it doesn't fit within the confine of something else, but this looks reasonably close and yeah, it's a little bit more money, but if it's, you know, helping to advertise the Pacificas and helping to promote and, and giving a contract to our workers, that's the macroeconomic message of the city of Windsor. It should look at the bigger picture, what's good for the greater good of Windsor, not just its own little Windsor corporation budget. So, Christine, when our uh, bylaw officers are getting caught by these new red light cameras, should they be blasting through in Pacificas or the cheapest car available on the market? I find it a difficult issue. I find it difficult to, um, because it, it, I mean, we don't simply produce Pacificas. There are other, you know, uh, cars being sold here in, in Windsor, a lot of, so why the one and not the other? Um, how do you justify supporting one dealership or one group and not another? So I find it difficult. Uh, normally, um, when everything else fails, it should be the lowest price then. Um, because it is, they are entrusted with our monies. These are taxpayer money. So what is the what is the rationale and how do you justify um it, it's it's a difficult decision i know that it's um i think it's well intentioned i think uh, certainly we want to support local at what cost i don't know and at the cost of others who are also producing locally uh that becomes questionable yeah and so i'm going to give a number 10 percent yeah. We, we already know how expensive the, the Pacific is, which I think is part of the problem as to why they find that selling as great as it could. The the target market, um, the traditional target market of a minivan can't, can't afford Pacificas. Um, and so that's part of the problem. So so Mayor Dilkins, the quote that he gave was the fact that in order to um, get around some of the trade agreement rules, uh, you had to fall into, you had to find a way to fall into one of the 27 um, areas where you could, you could be exempted from the, uh, the, the need to, to go to multiple sources for procurement processes. Uh, and he says the, the only one that, that the city might be able to do is to say they, they were concerned about the environment one to buy a hybrid, but the hybrid version of Pacifica is even more expensive. So you're, you're, you know, you're already looking at a much higher uh, price point to replace the current fleet of uh, Dodge Journeys with Pacific, Pacifica's period. And now in order to get around the sole sourcing um, uh, issues, which are outlawed by free trade agreements, you'd have to um, double the cost by, by buying hybrid and saying it was all for the environment. Um, so, and let, you know, b before when you had the, um, the rebates from the high levels of government for, for hybrids, maybe it didn't matter, but, but now it's even more problematic. Uh, Drew Dokens is a lawyer, as are you, Dave, and if there's legal restrictions on it, not breaking trade deals, then obviously you have to go along with that. But if there is some latitude where you do have the ability to buy the product that your city makes, and I would say if it's within 10%, lean in favor of what's good for the city. That, that's kind of my criteria. If legally you can't, or it's contrary to some trade agreement or some provision, then obviously you're mandated. But if there is a chance, like this article talks about, they should do this. It should imply that you're legally able to. But if they are able to, in some way, uh, buy products that are local and with, within 10%, 
uh, even if it's extra 10% cost, I'd be okay with that. That's my Al, Al, I'm a lawyer too, and I just have to say, buy your divorces locally. Buy your divorces locally. I'll tell you that one later. Al, you want to take us into the next story then on the uh, on the auto topic? Tell us about uh, tell us about potential strikes. Well, Unifor is choosing Ford as its target, and it's coming up for September 25th. The contract with Ford, GM, and FCA expire at 11:59 p.m. September 21st. Now, I think we've been lucky in the last few years that we've avoided strikes for the most part, and uh, with the big three negotiations that happen sometimes right up to the last minute. I, I kind of see this as happening as well. The unions obviously have to position themselves with a strategy. They're going to get their unions to vote that we demand we are in favor of a strike. It's all negotiation and bargaining. But at the end of the day, uh, Jerry Dias has has a track record right now when it comes to negotiating with the big three. He's avoided strikes and he's you know smelt the tea leaves. We're just coming out of COVID. I don't think he's going to press it so much that he'll have to enforce a strike. That's my prediction. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a strike either. What uh, what surprised me about the news locally was when Ford was announced as what they call, I guess, the strike target to set the uh, to set the uh, well, I forget what the term is, but to set the uh, sort of the the model contract for the other uh, Unifor uh, workers locally, I think, and I think it was again, Dave Cassidy said, gee, you know, he was really upset by that because we wanted it to be Chrysler so that the target would be Chrysler locally. And, uh, and I find that strange. I find, you know, certainly I understand that if you're the target, you've got a duty to hold the line and uh, you might have to go on strike and so on and so forth. But to me, if Ford's going to be the target, and that means that there's likely not to be a strike in Windsor, at least until the Ford process works its way through, but ultimately the Windsor Chrysler workers are going to get the benefit of whatever deal is worked out. To me, I mean, that to me is good news for Windsor. Um, it means that we're less likely to have a labor disruption in Windsor. We're less likely to have our workers having sleepless nights. Um, and we get the benefit of the uh, of the deal. So, uh, you know, to me here, discretion is the better part of valor. And if somebody else is going to get you know, if Fort Oakville is going to fight that battle and then we're going to reap the benefits of it, I don't know why we wouldn't want that locally. I'm not a union guy, so maybe they've got their own reasons. Certainly there's benefits to being able to negotiate your deal. But ultimately, even if once Ford settles, Chrysler still has to negotiate its own deal. And that might be product specific um, terms that are going to be specific at Chrysler that obviously don't matter to the Ford deal. So that's going to still have to get built in. But I just, I don't understand why there was that upsetness that Chrysler was not picked as the target. I think for Windsor people, we're better to let Ford Oakville go fight, fight that first battle to set the model contract. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure what, what the, the rationale is either, other than being able to make sure that you, I guess the, the local leaders might care more because it gives them the chance to get a first kick at trying to line up product for um, their local membership, um, but that, that's the um, the, the one uh, interesting thing about this set of negotiations. I was really happy to hear about. Uh, I can't remember where I'd, I'd read it at which article it was, but um, uh, I guess part of the process this go around is to um, shorten the length of the contract to line it up more with the uh, the U.S. contracts. Apparently, um, traditionally. Um, uh, the Canadian unions are going to the table after um, the big three have settled their contracts on the American side, um, have already promised on the American side all the product placement. There's scraps left over for the, the Canadian um, operations to fight over 
and say, hey, we need product placement here. And well, sorry, we're already committed to some plant in Indiana. We're committed to some plant in the U.S. South. And, and you can't have that product that's already gone. We've already promised to someone else. So I think that's smart on the, on the part of uh, Unifor leadership to say um, we need to, to make sure we're at the table early um, in the process. So I, I, if I'm not mistaken, these have traditionally been five-year contracts and now shortened them to three-year contracts. I think it's four to going to three. I think it's four, four going, going to three. three. In order to line up more with the U.S. side. So, and I, mean, I think that, that makes sense to me. That, per, yeah. that makes abundant sense to me. I just don't understand why we want to be the, uh, why, 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 why we want our, our, our men, so to speak, to be the, uh, the first to storm the beaches of Normandy. It's, it's, I guess it's, a, it's our tradition, the, the most uh, labor-intensive city in the, in the country by far, and we just want to have the bragging rights maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't foresee really. A, um, I, I find it all very difficult to understand. Um, I hope it doesn't go to a, a strike. And uh, definitely, I mean, with the COVID uh, situation, um, of course, a lot of people don't understand anyways what's at stake and uh, just the idea that people are going to go out to, on strike when they themselves have lost jobs and there are already um, problems in the market at this point is a little bit um, difficult to understand from the out, on the outside. And, but I don't think it, it'll come to that. Maybe on account of that. So, uh, Christine, you want to take us into our last story of who we won't be hearing from anymore? Yes, it's a it's a Gordon Hen Gord Henderson. Um, it's his la it was his last article, basically, or so he says. After fifty one years, it's time to hang up the Windsor Star crayons. He says. Um, I think it was a a, a beautiful uh, piece. I think it. Uh, it uh, has a lot of witty little uh, dabs which show his um, himself through the, the piece. And, um, you know, uh, you can tell that he's enjoyed it. Anyone who does anything for 51 years um, must have enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed reading him as others did, I'm sure. Um, he says, many readers I'm well aware will be tickled pink or red to know I'm packing it in after all these years. Uh, about freaking time that dinosaur left, they'll say, and have been saying ever since the star announced my retirement as full-time columnist in 2009. However, um, uh, he also tells about really the tribulations, the trials and tribulations of a writer, and that yes, you're told quite often, oh, how easy, you know, you don't really, it's like not like a real job. But I, I, as I suspected, for all those who uh, in in uh, society who write, it's um, it may not be quite the real environment, the real world. But having to write three essays basically a week, and not simply for your teacher, but for a public that is uh, out there to criticize and critique your work, is a very large. Um, uh, a lot of stress, a lot uh, to do. Uh, and also, he says, I'm my largest, you know, I've always been my harshest critic, which I think writers are, they're perfectionists. And so they, they pine over the choice of words, what they're going to be, um, you know, uh, putting emphasis on and so on and so forth. Um, he's also, um, he, he doesn't miss a beat. He does talk about the drama teacher prime minister in this uh, piece. 
and uh, uh, who sees uncontrolled spending as a virtue and who will be leaving a stinking mess to his grandchildren, which is part of the reason for retirement for, for real this time. And then he also talks about the late Jean Whalen, who was uh, the most quotable politician in our area uh, that our area produced, and also to Eddie Francis, who was the best Windsor mayor, in his opinion, in uh, the last half century. And then he also thanks all his readers and all those people who had, um, who gave him all those stories, including the war veteran stories that he was able to share with us. That so was a very nice summary, Christine. I, I, I like Gord Henderson. I think he's a stand-up guy. He's a true Windsorite. He's got a flair and a charisma about him. Uh, one thing that was mentioned also in his, uh, you know, his swan song was that he thinks that in today's society, I think he means our politically correct society, uh, he can't really say everything that he wants yes. to be able to say, right? Yes. So I remember one of his articles uh, was when Brian Massey got reelected and he says, having more NDP sitting third row or something like that is as useless as having tits on a bull. And I was like, that's in the Windsor Star? Gord Henderson gets to write that. I don't know if he'd be able to write stuff like that anymore. So, you know, to the extent in which um, you know, he would get hammered, certainly by the left and all the politically, he can't colorfully say, I think, what he wants. And that's kind of what he's saying. Like he had some very over-the-top messaging that were controversial, but it made it fun as well. And I don't think he can get away with it right now. So he's kind of leaving on a high. I mean, he left this semi-retired. And I remember sometimes when he would write his article, he was semi-retired, people would write back and say, Gord, you don't need to be just semi-retired. You need to be retired. And some people didn't like him. Some people loved him. But I think everyone will always respect that he was a true, loyal Windsorite. He cared about our region. He's got 51 plus years of writing about it. He cares about our region. It's not some outsider pretending to be. He's the real deal as far as being a Windsorite. And he's seen it all. He said it all. So he deserves his full retirement with his grandkids. Congratulations uh, to Gord Henderson. I think he did a great job. Yeah, the, the, the nice thing about uh, Gord is this, is, uh, you know, when, it, when his articles appear, uh, less frequently now than, than they used to, and, and now going forward, not at all, but when they'd appear and they'd show up on social media, you just watch people's heads blow up. Um, so I, I often didn't agree with what he had to say, um, but I appreciate his, his right to say it. But, but I just uh, I, I loved watching it uh, on social media uh, grow completely different legs and, and watching uh, the debates that, that Gord's opinions um, prompted on social media. So um, a well-deserved retirement um, to Mr. Henderson and, and uh, hopefully he enjoys it. Well, Dave, uh, you, uh, I, I echo what you say. There are people who every Saturday morning when they read the Gord Henderson article say, oh, this is so unfortunate for our community that this is being published. And I will say that while I didn't always agree with Gord, I enjoyed his writing. So I think that it is unfortunate for, his, for, for our community that we won't get to uh, read these columns anymore. So uh, congratulations on your retirement. Uh, best of luck to you going forward. And with that said, thank you all for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and join us on Facebook at Windsor's Inside Pulse for show updates and our bonus episodes. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week and we will see you next week.